Welcome, Valley family. Uh, this has been kind of a, a different week um, in the life of our state uh, with some really uh, land-breaking uh, legislation that's been passed, uh, really expanding abortion law. It's just the greatest uh, expansion of abortion law in New York State since 1970. And, uh, you know, sometimes there just comes a time when you just need to lay aside the other plans and just talk about a current event, a specific issue. We, we always want to do that here at Valley, because be aware uh, of what's going on, and, and through history we've done that. And, and so I, I felt like it was just really important to take some time uh, and, and to... Uh, to talk about this issue uh, that the Bible has so much to say about uh, and that I think for many, many of us, uh, well-meaning as Christians, we're just completely unaware of. Uh, and so if you have your Valley app, I'm just gonna invite you to go ahead and uh, open that up. We're gonna be looking at a lot of scriptures on the subject. I, I think you're gonna really wanna have this handy so you can look back on it um, in, in the future. You know, I was thinking about our, our mission statement uh, here at Valley Christian Church is reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I've come that you would have life, and that life would be more abundant. Jesus is all about life. He made that perfectly clear. That's why the mission of our church is to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. And that being said there in John 10, 10, Jesus also said there's someone else who's got another plan and purpose, and it's not to bring you life. It's to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so uh, as we're really thinking through on this subject, I just want to talk about what the Bible says about the significance of human life and even more than that, a, a question that I think is, is worth asking of ourselves as a church family, what would it look like for the Valley family in a culture around us that, that gives so little regard to what God actually says, what would it look like for the Valley family for us to be known as a community of life? That, that really we're all about life, bringing life to people, reaching people, it's not just words, reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. See, when it, when it comes to humanity, there's really three different views of humanity, and, and these are really important, these views. First of all, uh, there's the biblical view. That's what we're gonna talk about. That's from the scripture. What's the biblical view of humanity? And, and then there's, the second one would be the biological view, and, and the third uh, would be the philosophical view of humanity. The biblical view, the biological view, and the philosophical view of humanity. And here's the thing. Your view of humanity affects your belief about life. What you believe that life is really, your view of humanity affects what you believe about life, and that affects everything in your life. And every, the way you treat other people, the way you relate to other people. In fact, let's go back to that previous screen, uh, those three different views, biblical, biological, and uh, philosophical. Let me just take a little time to explain that because your view of humanity affects your belief about life. 
When we talk about the biblical uh, view of humanity, what we're talking about there is the Judeo-Christian uh, view, and that was really uh, almost all of our civil rights laws were based on those. So much of the uh, legal uh, backbone of the United States was based on the Judeo-Christian view, and, and that is the idea that human beings were created in the image of God. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. Human beings were created in the image of God. That's the, the biblical view of humanity. The biological view of humanity means humans, the, is the perspective human beings, we evolved from prehistoric sludge. Now, if you believe that, 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 that you know, your grandpa just you know, rolled out of the swamp you know, a million years ago, you're going to treat people very, very differently than the, bio, than the biblical view. If all you view humanity as is just biolo- we're just biological beings, that's going to affect how you treat, how you see other people. And then the philosophical view of humanity is just humans are defined by a few specific traits that are a little bit different than any other species. That we're just, some, we're just an animal, really. But, but, but the fact that we have self-awareness and rationality, that's what makes us distinct, but that's really it. That's, that, that's really it. Maybe the fact that we have thumbs. Oh, no, <laughs> you know, the apes have thumbs, so we're in the same family with them as well. So, so again, the biblical view, the biological view, the philosophical view. Now, here's the thing, watch. These two views, biological and philosophical, if this is our view of humanity, we will make excuses for all kinds of evil, abuse, the worst things you can think of out of humanity because I'm just an evolved being, or they're just an evolved being. I can mistreat someone else because they're just evolved from prehistoric sludge. You know, they're just, they're just a really higher form of animal, philosophically, that can reason. But if we see people and we see human life from the biblical perspective, everything changes. Everything changes, and it elevates the way we treat one another, the way we treat ourselves even. And it's so very, very important. And so again, a view of humanity, your view of humanity, my view of humanity, affects really your belief about life. So, so when I ask that question about what would it look like for Valley Family in our culture to be known as a community of life, let me define what a community of life is. I, I believe this is a great definition. A community of life believes and declares that God is the giver and sustainer of all life from the womb to the tomb. God is the giver and sustainer of all life. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. doesn't matter what the situation is. God is the giver and he is the sustainer of all life from the womb, in other words, in the womb, at conception, to the tomb. That's what a community of life really looks like and values. And and where I wanna go with this and really the whole rest of the message just unpack this passage. And and that is to the beginning, Genesis chapter one. Because the biblical view, biblical worldview of humanity goes back to the beginning in Genesis. And there's so much in this that uh, I'm just gonna take the rest of the time to unpack it uh, with supporting scriptures from the rest uh, of the Bible. But look at Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 28. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our own image. Hold on, this is crazy. We we are eavesdropping on a conversation that took place within the Trinity. Have you ever thought about that before? 
God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all there together, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So we're just going to read this through, and then I'm going to unpack it. It goes on and it says, so God created mankind in his own image. All the other things have been created, but it's only mankind that God says, I'm going to create mankind in my image, in my likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Female's not lesser than, on the same status, same uh, level as man. Male and female, he created them. Not evolved, he created them. It goes on and says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So three things that are real important about uh, this creation narrative that we have recorded for us in scripture, just unpacking it now. Uh, And the first is this, human beings are different than everything else in creation. Human beings are different than everything else. They're distinct. Human beings are different than everything else in creation. In fact, not only in Genesis, in the New Testament, and this is all throughout Scripture, I, I just don't have time to you know, go through like a doctrinal thesis on this uh, in one message, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 39. The Bible says, not all flesh is the same. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. We have so many laws, don't we, on the books right now for the protection of all kinds of wildlife, endangered species, all kinds of things like that. But the Bible makes it very clear, people are different. Human beings are not the same kind of flesh as the animals, as the birds, and the fish. Should there be uh, uh, laws about uh, conserving wildlife and all that? Absolutely. That's a part of it we're going to get to. But how much more so the fact laws to protect people that are made in the image of God. It's not the same. People are different. And, And so... Human beings are different than every, uh, everything else in creation. Human beings are the only ones that, can I put it this way, are aware that we're self-aware. You know, uh, my, my wife Susie and I have two dogs, uh, two French bulldogs, uh, Tybee and Lucy, and we love them. They're fantastic. I think the world of them, but they are not self-aware at all. They're, they're not self-aware. They're not, they're not thinking about, hmm, I wonder what our July 4th uh, plans are. They, they have no concept of that. You know, it's like they walk outside and it's snowing and they're like, whoa, what happened? You know, and it's rain, everything's a surprise. There's no self-awareness. They, they are really are moved by instinct or impulse. And we have impulses too. But that's one of the things that makes us distinctly human, isn't it? I mean, let's be real, right? Sometimes, um, maybe I'll just talk about me. Sometimes I'm driving down the road, some car cuts me off. And in my mind, I I'm just think this, this crazy thought just goes by. This crazy impulse goes through my head. Like, I am going to go ram the back of that car. You know, and I just want to go, but I don't do it. Why? Because I'm self-aware of what the repercussions would be if I were to do that. Animals aren't like that. Hmm, 
In fact, it happened before with one of our dogs, and I'm not going to single him out, Tybee, but, uh, but where he'll bite one of us. He's bitten a couple of people. He's not self-aware what the consequences are going to be. He's just like, don't do that to me. No self-awareness. We have instincts as human beings, but we have the self-awareness to say, no, I'm not going to do that because I can understand what the ramifications of this action might actually be. So first of all, human beings are different than everything else in creation. Here's the second thing. Human beings are responsible over creation. Human beings are responsible over creation. What we read there in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, often is referred to as the dominion mandate that God said to Adam and Eve and subsequently to all humanity, I am holding you responsible for the rest of creation to take care of it, to manage it, to be good stewards over it, and we will have to give an account. And so, does God care about the environment? Of course he does, from Genesis 1. He says, human beings, you're responsible for it. Human beings are responsible over creation. This is why even cruelty to animals, God cares about that. God cares about the way we treat animals because he's put us in responsibility over all of creation and we're going to give an account one day for what we did, how we tended and nurtured the environment and creation around us or how we abused it, used it, stripped it and left nothing left, left nothing else for the next generation. This is all Genesis chapter 1, all in the beginning. Human beings are responsible over creation. Here's the third thing in this dominion mandate in Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. Human beings are bearers of the image of God. Human beings are bearers of the image of God. So what does that mean? That means that life, human life, in, it doesn't matter the circumstance, doesn't matter the crisis or the tragedy or the situation, Every human being, the worst of the worst and the best of the best, the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich, every human being bears the image of God in them. Not perfectly. That's one of the things that, that was marred in the, in the fall of man when Adam and Eve sinned and, and subsequently every one of us is natural born sinners. We're born sinners. But we still bear something of the image of God. Think about it this way. One of the ways that we bear the image of God is through creativity. Creativity. I love my little dog Lucy. She has never drawn a pretty picture. There, there's no creativity. I, you know, we go outside sometimes and, and we turn around and we see the sunset and we're like, look at that, isn't that beautiful? And she's just sniffing the grass. Doesn't even notice it. There's no appreciation for it. It's one of the ways that we're like God. We bear the image of God through creativity, through the ability to communicate, even in language. It's one of the ways that, that we, we, we can actually transfer thoughts and ideas. God communicates in a like way. And so human beings are bearers of the image of God. And, and watch how the Bible puts this, and it's so specific how involved God is in the creation of a human being. 
Look at what the Bible says. In Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14, David says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Now, obviously, David didn't think that God had some kind of cosmic knitting needles. That's not what he's talking about. He's using an analogy here. But isn't this amazing, remarkable? This was written almost 4,000 years ago. No microscopes, no understanding of biology, none of that. And he says, you formed me in my mother's womb. David understood, God, you are deeply involved even from the moment of conception with who I am. This is powerful. See, this is the, the, the biblical view of humanity is it's not a fetus, it's a baby. It's child. You formed me. You created me. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. This puts God actively involved in the womb of your mother when it comes to you. And, and so he chose the color of your eyes. He, he chose the color of your hair. I wish he chose that I'd have a little bit more at this age. But anyway, it's another story. He, he chose the DNA. He, he chose the tone of your voice. He chose all of those things. You know, I, I've said this before, just personally, there was so much in my life that I wished I was six feet tall. B because when I played sports, when I played football, uh, college uh, scouts and all would come to the games and they kept telling my dad, boy, if your son was only six foot tall, we'd be really interested. But I'm not, I'm five eight and three quarters of an inch. You're just six feet tall. And you know what, I think this, as I look back now, if my life, if I had been six feet tall, I would not be where I am today doing what it is I'm doing, which is exactly what God had planned for me. I have one brother who's six foot two and another brother who's six foot, and I'm five eight and three quarters. God knew. God knew. And so it's so very important. He chose everything about you because he has something specific planned for you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Let me put it this way. Never despise how you're wired. Never despise how you've been created or where you've been placed. Because you're exactly the way God wants you to be. Exactly the way God wants you to be. And we bear his image Look at this, another, another passage, just looking at some of these, it's just amazing the clarity of scripture. Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. The Bible says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, before you were born, I set you apart, I had a plan and purpose specific for you, Jeremiah, and for you and me too. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The Bible makes it clear God has a plan and purpose for every human being before they're ever born, before they're born, when they're in the mother's womb, God had a plan and God has a purpose for every single human being. And then look at this, this is pretty amazing. Fast forward to the New Testament when, when uh, Mary 
the angel appears to her and says, you're going to bear the Christ child. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and, and you're going to give birth to a son. Uh, and and uh, her, uh, the immaculate uh, conception, uh, you know, virgin will give birth. Not only that, but her, her aunt Elizabeth also uh, could not have a child, and they wanted to, her and her husband, and, and it was told to him, you'll have a child, John the Baptist, a cousin. And so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Mary's already beginning to be with child, early parts of pregnancy. Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist, and look what the Bible says in Luke chapter 1. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, Mary says, hey, Aunt Elizabeth, watch this. The baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she explained, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you bear. Watch this now. But why, why am I so favored uh, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Think about this for just a minute, the ramifications of this. The first person to celebrate Jesus Christ was an unborn baby in the womb. The, fir the first person to recognize who Jesus Christ is was John the Baptist as a baby in his mother's womb. That's powerful. Just let that sink in for a minute. Because, of human because humanity bears the image of God, an unborn child should be treated as a person from the very moment of conception. And this is not, these are not the only verses in the Bible that give this full picture of from the moment of conception, that's a baby. And God is involved with a plan and purpose for that child's life. Right there involved. As I like to say, there's no such thing as accidental children. There are accidental parents, but there's no such thing as accidental children children. A child is not an accident. God has a plan and purpose for every human being. And so there's, there's three implications of this. Just, just that breakdown there from Genesis uh, chapter 1, 26 through 28. Human beings are different than everything else in creation. Human beings are responsible over creation. And human beings bear, are bearers of the image of God I believe God wants us as a church family to be known as a community of life. A community of life. Jesus is all about life. Now, here, here's, the, uh, here, here's the tragic statistics of the reality of what's going on in our country. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, which is not pro-life or pro-choice, it's the federal government account number, the CDC has on record since 1970 to 2015 in the United States, there have been 45,789,558 abortions. 45 million human beings aborted. Just to put that in perspective for just a minute, think about state populations. That's larger, more people have been aborted since 1970 than the population of any state in the United States. California is the largest with a population last year of 39 million. 
you, you still have six million more people if the entire state of California was wiped out. Texas is 28 million. Florida is 21 million. New York is 19 million. 45 million. Can you imagine taking a week and driving all over New York and you did not see, even in Manhattan, not a single living soul? It's only half. The population of New York is half of the amount of human beings that have been aborted since 1970 to 2015. 2016, 17, and 18 numbers are not in that. Some say that could be well over 53,000 abortions. And, and, and I know that, that sometimes the question is about uh, abortion, well, what about if the mother's life is in danger? Again, let's go to an extensive study, not, not by pro-life or pro-choice, again, the government, CDC. The CDC says that in the cases of abortion that's carried out to save the mother's life are extremely rare, it's less than, watch this now, 0.118% of all abortions are to save the mother's life. 0.118%. You can Google this and check it out. It's all right there. All you have to do is want to look for it. All of those cases, 45 million abortions, 0.118% because the mother's life is in jeopardy. And that being said, I believe there's nothing morally wrong or biblically wrong with saving the mother's life in that instance. I think the mother's life should be saved in that instance. And I think biblically you can make the strong case for it. If it's the child is going to die and the mother's going to die or just the child. You can make a biblical case for that and I don't think there's anything wrong or immoral with it. But the reality is, that's not why abortions happen in the United States. It's not even close. In fact, this expansion of abortion law is quite interesting because New York State actually is double what the state averages are for abortion. In other words, again, going back to the, the statistics that you can find, not pro-life, not pro-choice, just the facts, New York has an abortion rate of 23.1 for every 1,000 women. 23.1 for every 1,000 women, which is twice the national average, which is 11.8 for every 1,000 women. Currently in New York State, before this legislation was expanded, 25, out of 25 to 27% of all pregnancies in New York were terminated by abortion. One quarter. One quarter, and now it's been expanded that it can literally be up to the moment of birth. Up to the moment of birth. And, and that's why, because of the teachings of Scripture, because this is the first time it's been expanded since 1970, this is why I just felt like, we need to look at what God says about this. Because I wasn't a pastor in 1970, but, but I am in 2019 when it's been expanded even more. And, and we need to be fully aware. Do we view humanity biblically, biologically, or philosophically? You, you know the problem? <laughs> the reason why our, our whole culture has gotten so antagonistic, the way we say things about people, the way we mistreat and all this, you know why? It's because we don't view humanity biblically. We view it biologically. You're just a mass of tissue. Or we use it philosophically. 
When, when, when you, even when I posted something about this on Facebook and, and people said all kinds of like scathing things about our governor, you know what? You need to repent of that because that's not, a, a Christian wouldn't do that because our governor bears the image of God just like you do. It's completely inappropriate to speak about someone like that. See, the problem is we're not as Christian as we think we are. We're much more Democrat or Republican than we are follower of Christ. But Jesus said, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not let the Democratic uh, uh, opinion come, not let the Republican opinion come. Jesus said, for my followers, you pray, let my kingdom come. My will be done. And there's no question what God's will is about how we treat those who mistreat, how, how, even how we, how, how we treat our enemies. The scripture is not silent on this. The problem is we're Democratic Christians or Republican Christians instead of Christian first. That's the problem. And, and we view and we treat other human beings that they're biological or we treat them humanity from a philosophical point of view, but not from a biblical point of view. Because every single person you ever lock eyes with, you ever see every human being, worst of the worst, best of the best, poorest of the poor, richest of the rich, doesn't matter, everyone bears the image of God. Every single one. Not just United States citizens. Every human being. That's why Jesus said, you pray. Teach us to pray. My, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, a community of life, what does it do? First of all, values all human life from the unborn to the disabled to the dying. That's the teaching of scripture, that you and I are to value all human life, all human life, from the unborn to the disabled to the dying. Uh, that means we need to be able to speak up and we need to speak out about these issues. We need to speak out graciously and passionately and from womb to tomb. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever heard this? Most of us know this is from the Bible. How many of you have ever heard an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth? Let me see your hands there. All right. How many of you know what the context of that is? This is crazy. Let's look at what the context is. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Exodus chapter 21, where, where God is laying out his rules, his law, so, so that we'd have the right perspective on what he values. Look at this. Exodus chapter 21, verse 22. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman, if there are two people fighting and there's a pregnant woman there and she gets hit accidentally and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. In other words, do you hear this right now? He's saying, listen, if, if a pregnant woman, a woman who's carrying a child, a baby, inside her womb, if she is injured because of an argument or a fight that's going on, that matters to me, God says. 
and says, if she gives birth prematurely, but there's no injury to that child, then there's a fine, whatever the woman's husband demands of the court allows. But watch this now. It goes on and says, but if there is serious injury, you are to take a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. If a woman is carrying a child, a pregnant woman, and there are two people fighting, and she's injured, and that baby is born prematurely and has something wrong with his eye, you were to gouge out that person's eye that was fighting. You get the idea. God says, life in the womb is very important to me. That's a baby. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. It has nothing to do with whether the woman wanted the baby or not. Not anything about the circumstances. If she's pregnant with a baby and that baby is injured, the person who caused the injury should have the same consequence come to them. It's shocking. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The whole context is about a woman carrying a baby in her womb. Jesus then takes this. Jesus talks about this as well in the New Testament, and he amplifies it even more. But he never says, oh, it doesn't apply to a pregnant woman. He never negates the context of it. He amplifies it even more. I can't think of anything in Scripture that clearer communicates God's perspective on unborn life because it bears the image of God. We need to value all life from unborn to the disabled to the dying. Here's the second thing, a community of life not only values all human life, it seeks the welfare of the greater community. If we're gonna really be a community of life, we need to seek the welfare not of ourselves but of other people, how to make our community a better place. We are for humans flourishing everywhere. That's the teachings of scripture that humans would flourish everywhere. That's what God's about. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that life more abundantly. That's why, you know, I can't help but think about, and it's just so many stories about our church uh, that people, men and women, just like you and the Valley family through the years that have done extraordinary things just simply to seek the welfare of the greater community. Uh, I, I think about Kelly Lingard who started Unshattered uh, next door to our Hopewell campus right here. Just sitting there when, and God just speaks to her and just to help those women that are coming out of uh, recovery. Uh, not only that, and I don't like to tell these stuff quite honestly uh, because I don't like it to be misunderstood like this is being braggadocious, but, but this is really the history of our church. Uh, the bread of life, uh, feeding ministry, it was Valley Christian Church that started that. No other church wanted to be a part of that. That was people in Valley Christian Church that started the bread of life ministry in the 1980s. One of the elders of our church and several people together came to my father as a pastor. We'd like to start a feeding ministry in Poughkeepsie. My dad said, go ahead and do it. Bread of life. Not only that, the CareNet Pregnancy Center of the Hudson Valley was started by members exclusively of Valley Christian Church. The CareNet Ministry, which was a crisis pregnancy center, dealing with this, helping women in, in these difficult pregnancies and all, was started by members of this church in the 1980s also. We have this rich history of, a val of the Valley family of seeking the wel welfare of the greater community. In fact, just this week, 
my wife Susie, Pastor Susie, your Pastor Susie, my wife Susie, uh, uh, she was actually called uh, by the director of an organization in Washington, D.C. called Partners in Hope and has been invited down with Kelly Lingard. Kelly Lingard was the, the, the bridge between the two. Uh, the whole uh, mission of Partners of Hope is strengthening recovery with community-based workforce development efforts. And she's been invited down to Washington, D.C., March 27th through the 28th, uh, to actually uh, be on a panel and to help other uh, Christian organizations, faith-based organizations, how to help people coming out of recovery because of the partnership but that has happened here between Unshattered and Valley Christian Church. So much so, and I quote, this is what the director said to my wife, it's time for you to teach the rest of the nation how to do this. Seek the welfare of the greater community. That's what we're all about. Why would you do this? Why, why, why are we like this? Because this is what Jesus said. This is actually living because what we believe affects how we live. And we believe biblical perspective of humanity. Seek the welfare of the greater community. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 7. This is why we do it right here. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is an interesting time in Israel's history. They were actually in exile and people were like, we're done with God. God's not with us anymore. And some were like, no, 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 we need to overthrow. You know, we need to revolt. And this is what God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, this is what you do. You seek the welfare of the city. You seek the welfare, the betterment of the community where you live. And you know what is gonna happen? For in its welfare, you will find welfare. You will be blessed when you look to be a blessing to others. Sounds kind of selfless, doesn't it? That's why we do this. Here's the third implication of what a community of life looks like, and I believe that's who we are, Valley family. Third thing is this. A community of life defends the oppressed, the vulnerable, and the voiceless. A community of life defends the oppressed, the vulnerable, and the voiceless. Psalm 82, verses three through four, the Bible says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. That they, that they have a voice. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. I believe that the most Vulnerable and voiceless are the unborn. No one to speak for them. 45 million abortions. We know scientifically, there, there's no debate about this, we know scientifically that a baby at eight weeks in the mother's womb can recoil from pain They are dreaming. They can actually see brain activity that they're having dreams. That all of their organs are present and functioning, not to the point of being sustainable on their own, but they're all there. They're all present and functioning. They have their own unique fingerprint 
at eight weeks old and their own DNA and their own unique blood type at eight weeks old. It's a baby. It's a baby. And so we need to defend the oppressed and the vulnerable and the voiceless. Maybe you're, you're, you're here now and you're saying, well, what can I do? You know what, there's so much, and I just want to just point it out, there's so much that we do and we can continue to do. I, I can't even, I was trying to do this as I was studying, I can't even quantify how many foster parents we have in our church family. How many parents have adopted children? One, a good, good friend of mine, very close to us in this church family, adopted. She's a grown woman right now. Just met her biological mom and dad last year. Grown woman who was adopted. So many adopted children. So many foster parents that just for a, a time open their heart and care for someone else's kids as if they were their own. There's so much we need to continue to do all that we do as a church family. One of the things that uh, was kind of interesting in our Christmas surveys that, that you said you wanted to hear about was Christians in politics. I think that's also something that's really important. Not, not political Christians, Christians in politics. Christian first. Christian first, before Democrat or Republican before liberal or conservative, Christian for representing biblical worldview of what a human being is, humanity. I, I think some are called to be in the political sphere. Christian first, before any political affiliation or party. One, one of the things also in those surveys that, that was one of the top five that you wanted to hear about was spiritual warfare. We're working on a whole series right now for March about spiritual warfare. Uh, we're calling it SWAT, Spiritual Warfare and Tactics. But because listen, listen folks, this whole issue about life, that's why it, it makes no sense to start calling somebody names. Because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. As soon as you vilify and t say someone is, is evil, the embodiment of evil, all this nonsense, you are no longer acting like a Christian. Because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is a spiritual battle going on and the weapons of our warfare as Christians are not carnal. They're not natural in name calling, you know, all, all that stuff. But they're mighty in God. They're, they're not carnal. They're spiritual for pulling down the strongholds. That's what we're going to be talking about the whole month of March. So very important. So I think one of the things we need to, every one of us needs to be informed. Not only as a voter, we need to be informed what God says about all these different topics and subjects. What does God say about this? And I know just the size of our church family, I know there are many of you in this message today, you're hearing something you never have heard anywhere before. But it's been in God's word all this time. All this time. So we need to be informed, not only as voters, we need to be informed of what God's word says on all these different subjects, all these different topics. And we need to be active in the political process 
And, and let me say this with a caveat. I think this is so important. The Democrats are not right. And the Republicans are not right. There is no political party that represents God's will in the United States, not one. Each have some measure of truth, but not one of them rightly represents the teachings of scripture, not one. And it's so important that we understand. That's why you can't be, I, I just don't believe you can be a Democrat who's a Christian or a Republican who's a Christian. You have to be a Christian first. We have to be a Christian for, because elections have consequences and we've seen that this week. We've seen that this week. And so I think we do need to be engaged. And let me say this, we need to be engaged in the political process. We need to be knowledgeable and have the information. Also, let me say this, to not vote, I believe, is the most irresponsible thing you can do as a Christian. It's completely, well, I didn't vote. Well, that's just foolish. That's just foolish because we've been given this tremendous opportunity and responsibility where we can determine who our leaders are. And, and to not take advantage of that opportunity that's given to us, that right, that freedom that we have, it's just being irresponsible. So I encourage you to vote. It's so important because elections have consequences. And so what I want to do right now is, is I want to pray. And I want to pray, first of all, that, that God would just, uh, could I put it this way? God would just allow our hearts to break for what really breaks his. Not all political issues are on the same level. I, I, I believe this, the, the, the wealth of scripture about this topic, about human life, that the sanctity and the value of human life, it, it is, it is, it's where it all begins. It's, it's the top level stuff all the way back into Genesis. We see it, Genesis chapter one. It's not a small, it's not one of the issues, it's the issue. How do we view humanity? Do we view it biblically or some other way that allows us to treat another human being less than what God says, that's the value of that, every human being, because they bear my image. And so I wanna pray that we would not continue to go down these paths, if you will, that, 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 that maybe we've just been walking in because it's just the way we think it's supposed to be. But we'd really search the scripture and allow the scripture to search us. And then we would say, God, not my will, yours be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and let it come, Lord, through my life. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do just pray right now, every single one of us, Lord, that we would just allow our hearts to break for what breaks your heart. Lord, forgive us for the wrong perspectives that we've had about human life. Lord, not just in the womb, but from the womb to the tomb. The wrong perspective we've had that, that we felt justified in what we've said about another human being. That, that we felt like it was okay to you, the way we mistreated someone else, or maybe even mistreated creation that you put us in responsibility over. Father, I just pray your word right now would bring light to us and life to us. Thank you, God, that you forgive. 
those things that we have done that we did because we didn't know. And thank you, Lord, that your word brings life to us that we can not only think new, but we can act new. And God, I pray that our community would be better off a year from now than it is today simply because of the presence of Valley Christian Church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.